0: Johnny, mm-hmm. when is the country album coming out? You have a vibe. <laughs> you were like very stoically wow. looking at your your microphone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just thinking I'm about it. Just gonna it. remind everyone: if we find a really good visual bit, we have to screen cap it so that we. Can
0: <laughs> oh shit! Out. Right. That's <laughs> you know what? I've never screen grabbed on a Mac before. I can print screen. Somebody else do this, please. Control okay. four. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, we return to the top of the initiative order. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think that the silver bullet is going to have to both accelerate and drop altitude. Mm-hmm. They were not expecting to have to chase the Uhuru this much, and they need to. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to recover this extremely valuable cargo. Mm-hmm. So they are also going to put some strain down.
0: (laughs) Also, I just had the thought, if we go this many years, having just cashed all this featherweave, and then we get it stolen from
1: us. (laughs) Well, you have turned over the bulk of the featherweave prize. You've already given, you've already delivered that, and you've already gotten money from it.
0: But I mean, Uh, like, if if we do all this only to get jacked for our shit.
1: (laughs) yeah that is very funny and could <laughs> potentially happen
2: we did all that and then some other random pirates said jump and we we're like oh
1: <laughs> okay so they attempt to accelerate but they yeah the silver bullet we we, we flip up silver bullet heads into its own dive Unlike the Uhuru, which is a ship that was kind of built to handle dives and and built to go fast, the Silver Bullet is a ship that is built to be extremely stable. Again, their strategy, generally speaking, is to attack their enemies from altitude using snipers and birds. Their birds typically don't fly very far from the main ship itself, And those snipers need a very stable, clear ride in order to get good shots. They move into a dive to try and drop altitude more quickly than they normally would. We can hear the creaking and groaning of protest as the heavy chains from their rigging strains against the balloon, which is keeping them aloft. We can see towards the back of their balloon envelope, there's someone working the sphincter there to let out some of the hot air so that they can drop more quickly. Is
3: that what it's Um, called? called the sphincter
1: yes it is we established that in courier's call so uh that's that's just a a fun
3: i know that that's what it is i know that that's the function and that makes (laughs) sense you
2: cannot deal also (laughs) (laughs)
3: well
1: Liz, we decided that it would be rough talking sailors who came up with the names for these things so they might even call it the asshole Mm. like they might literally just call it that so we understand that this is a balloon yeah. part. We're gonna call it the sphincter. I'm yeah.
2: okay, um, just well. now picturing like a really rugged hench pirate dude just yelling, loosen the asshole. And I'm yeah. just like yeah, good. <laughs> Unleash <laughs> the uh, ass. <laughs> what a beautiful prof- butthole. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So yeah, that that releases some of the hot air. They cut airflow from their furnaces in order to make it so that there is less air on their weave so that they can start pulling themselves into this dive. And their rigging screams in protest as they do so. They are also trying to take advantage of and control the speed of their dive, but they fail and they fail pretty badly here. Um, they, they fail with a threat, so I, I think their guide sails are also taking some strain here as they go into this dive and really can't control it very well. They're still at a fairly long range away. I'm, I'm going to say there were two range bands up from you before, so... Yeah, they they are still two range bands away from you, which means that they're not really at close enough range to attack. And, you know, they've taken significant risks to even get that close. Which means we now move on to the next part of the initiative, which is a PC slot. Who wants it? And I will remind everyone, you also have the option of giving these slots over to a a
4: crew mm -hmm, action mm -hmm. and having the crew act. Uh, Although... Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's the same to everyone yes. mm-hmm. do it. um, It's the same. Now I am prone, but no longer have a boy on me, correct? I think you
1: have like you had sort of two
4: people so tackle you. Boy. So I'd
1: say there was one on either shoulder. however, like one of them had moved on top of you to shout in your face, and that person has been ripped
4: away. So what would I have to do to get out from under the boy?, uh, you would have to fight. I will I would fight. Say. Then, you know what? Here's what I'll do. I want to, since I don't have my gun, I will use my dagger mm-hmm. to try and basically, like, kind of swing around and get the boy maybe, maybe in the neck if I can. <laughs> what is on your dagger, Travis?
1: I have a question. Mm-hmm. What is the, the crit range on that? Three. Okay, I'm gonna give you an option here. And this can just be a universal rule that we apply to Skyjacks from here on forward. We've established that Travis has a butterfly knife, uh, <laughs> but that is his knife. So I will say in attacking an enemy, you can do a butterfly knife trick. If you do, it will add a black die to your roll. But if you succeed in that roll, it changes the crit range to one. Because obviously if you do a butterfly knife trick, you're going to critical right after mm. it. Would you like to opt for yeah, it? Yeah, I mean obviously. No, no, no. <laughs> no. All right. So the difficulty is two purple and one black die for you to stab with this butterfly Amazing. knife and, and get out from under okay. the boy. It's just foolish. It's just
3: foolishness.
4: I'm I'll be honest, I'm still feeling pretty good about this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's two successes.
3: <laughs> yes Yes! okay let's go
1: two successes
4: yeah and and your what is your brawn so the damage is plus two and this I mean it's just melee right Mm -hmm. but melee so
1: yeah it is brawn okay so
4: yeah that's plus two damage plus the one so that's
1: three damage plus the two of the net successes bring it to five yes this will kill
4: this Uh, uh, so so you watch forging fire as well (laughs) it (laughs) will kill (laughs) Uh, uh, please describe this Yeah so I think that like You know obviously this knife is Concealed because you don't not Conceal a butterfly knife mm-hmm. So I think like I That's like, a Johnny O'Mara Quote that I want on an inspirational poster <laughs> You don't not conceal a butterfly knife I, he, I want to like Whip the knife out Which is a surprise Do I mean a, an incredible trick I think here's Here's what it is So, I will... Let's say... Do you care which side this person is on? Not at all. Okay. (laughs) Let's say he's on my right side. So, like, I can't do much, but my hand is a little bit free. Mm -hmm. The knife is on my left side. So, I want to pull it out with my left arm. Like, whip it in the air so that it opens in the air. Catch it with my right hand. And, like, stab it into his neck. And then, like... Pull him off of me Metal. with that hand. I love that. Can we, can
0: we see we we see like a special insert of like almost Lord of the Rings esque above Travis. The butterfly knife gets thrown up and then it opens up <laughs> at the top and then like comes back down, grabs, that <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Absolute silly Billy. <laughs> it's very cool. I loved all of that.
1: Uh, so then we go to an NPC. Oh, you you also I think you get a maneuver there, so you can move. Trap. Oh, so I you wanna? I just want to grab my gun then. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So you stab that person, and like across the
4: room is your gun. Do you like slide down to go retrieve it? Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I think so. I think the way I fell, basically, my head would be down, like down, you know, like facing mm. down. So I want to stab him, pull him off, and then kind of swing around on the floor so I can slide down feet first to grab the gun.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you've got that. You've retrieved your revolver. And we're ready. Like, we do that. And because we're at the semaphore room, like, we can see in the windows out of the ship that the birds that were chasing you are diving down to try and meet up with the ship. These birds need to accelerate pretty quickly because the Uhuru gained a lot of speed very, very fast. So we need them to fly and the maneuver cost for that. They are going to have to make a hard check here.
4: Mm. Uh,
1: wow. Wow. They succeed by four with a threat. So... (laughs) They have, like, extremely quickly moved themselves up from a speed of three up to a speed of five, very elegantly. These birds that were like surrounding the ship, the Uhuru drops out from beneath them and these birds like simply fold in their wings, point their beaks and dive after it. So we can see they have once again, like there's a cloud of these little birds around the ship. I am going to say like, we'll have three of them actually drop down onto the canopy envelope, the balloon of the Uhuru, and cling to it. While the other three are sort of like fanned out along the sides of the ship itself. And they are once again going to try and drop smoke bombs onto the deck of the ship. And this one is successful. This one is successful to a pretty high degree as they crit, meaning that their smoke bomb is going to hit the helm of the ship. So these colorful smoke bombs sail through the air and we can see right by Gable, one of these ceramic smoke bombs like hit the deck, and immediately a huge plume of smoke envelops around your vision and makes it incredibly difficult to see. This isn't like tear gas or anything like that. It's just really obstructing your vision and making you cough a little bit. This also kind of highlights where the Uhuru is the silver bullet above making it easier for them to you know find your location as you are moving at very low altitude right now and we turn over to a
0: pc slot Hmm. i'll take it all right okay so we're back in the air with jonnet all of this is happening i think the smoke bomb hits and is currently flooding the hole with, with smoke. And I think Jonnet, then we kind of like see a a more pulled back shot with the Uhuru kind of center. And we see like a, a figure dart immediately in front of the camera and then kind of banks into view. And that is Jonnet and Metatron. I think Jonnet is going to try to kind of flank this. Wait, is Jonnet... I would love Jonnet to be able to get the jump on this other bird that's currently like, that just fired at Metatron. But I don't yeah. know if if Jonnet is avoiding or is, is able to go on the offensive. Uh, I think you can go on the offensive. Yes. They
1: were rounding back towards you. So this is kind of moving towards a clash scenario.
0: Great. Then
1: we clash. Jonnet is going to pull his revolver. All right, so the, the, this is going to be an average difficulty with two black dice. Because okay. you are on bird back in the air mm-hmm. at night.
0: Yes. I think, like, there's maybe a moment where we see Jon's perspective of, like, night sky, night sky, night sky, small flicker. And in that, we see him... Pull his revolver and immediately just try and aim for that or try and anticipate like two steps in front of where the flicker was. Meeting the shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there it is. (laughs) Okay. This person is going to get the business. All right, that is. uh, That's two successes. Mm -hmm. Two successes. Okay,
1: on top of the standard revolver, which is six. All right, this is not a lethal hit, but it is almost lethal. This person has two hit points left. So where do you hit them?
0: I feel like I hit as much as I've got love for the big birds of Spear. I think in this, Jonnet hits the bird in like a crucial part of the wing so that The rider isn't necessarily sustaining damage. The bird and the ride becomes much more shaky and untenable.
1: Okay, okay. I I feel like I know exactly what happens. I think you take this person out of combat because, like, yeah, you hit their bird which is very different it's not a soaring bird like yours this is a little flappy sparrow bird Mm. uh, which depends more on those wing flaps so it would have to be like spending you know three or four strain a flap and right now the battle is happening over a river delta so like there's a pass I am going to say, because like we described this as a clash, like they brought out, you know, their shotgun. So they were like trying to level a shot at Jonnet and Metatron and Jonnet just quicker on the draw and shoots first. Hits the bird in the wing. The flight gets extremely rocky, extremely quickly. And like you can see as the rider passes you, instead of aiming their gun at you, there's a shot that goes wild turning over your shoulder. You can see them behind you. They have to veer the bird off course. They are looking now just for a safe place to land because they're not going to be able to stay in the air long. They have a while before the silver bullet's going to be able to bring their bird back into bay. And they don't want to get eaten by a seal. So they just have to look for a place that is not going to result in that for them. So they're out of the fight and I am going to cross them off. And then it's a
0: maneuver. Do I still have?
1: Yes, you do still have a maneuver.
0: So there's a very brief moment of Jonnet like, whoo, (laughs) like, let's, uh, that's great. Come on, Metatron. And then he kind of pulls up. Jonnet is now going to try and find the silver bullet to try and get behind the silver bullet to then light another flare to try and signal to the rest of the crew.
1: Oh, shit. And this is perfect because Jonnet is not out here with a lantern Mm. because you were unexpectedly deployed. So they are probably not going to be able to see Metatron, Yeah, which is big. So, yeah, uh, you are going to try and find the silver bullet. So did you
0: want to – are you climbing to a higher altitude? I would like to climb because I – and also – I mean, just naturally climbing, but also with everybody taking these massive dives, I feel like, I mean, it feels like I'd be able to pick out something rocketing towards the ground. But
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct Mm -hmm. on that. Let's see. The Uhuru was here in altitude. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you are... At actually one altitude above the silver bullet now so i think it is easy to see where it was and where it is in relation to you you climb as it dives you pass each other you can see the silver siding on the ship and jonathan is now above it
0: dope i feel like that's probably my turn if not i'll keep going
1: that is your turn (laughs) indeed the silver bullet needs to make up speed because right now the Uhuru is still two range bands away from them in terms of altitude, but also range bands away from them in terms of lateral distance as well, because the Uhuru is just moving much faster at this point. So I think there is an order that goes out over the silver bullet to initiate a heavy burn. Heavy burn essentially means they are shoveling like twice as much coal into their engines to make things work. So they expend a level of supply that they have on their ship in order to burn more in their furnace and basically make any movement that they're doing more powerful. The next thing that they do No, they don't want to dive lower. What they want to do is try and accelerate. So they are going to accelerate. They're still going to accelerate at a hard check because they're trying to catch up right away. Holy cow.
2: I don't even sense suspense. I don't like
1: this. That is a total wash. Uh (laughs) That's just a cow. we, Hmm. We turn to the luminaries. It's the island they drown. Ooh, well, the island was already drawn for this combat. It the is the world is an island, you <laughs> know.
4: The world is an island.
1: This island, Earth, it's the newborn beginnings, responsibility, and potential. Let's see. I think they do manage to accelerate. I think this is going to offer an opportunity to the Uhuru that Jonnet is going to be able to capitalize on. You seeing this unfold in front of you, like you are going to notice a critical piece of information that could turn the tide of the battle very easily based on what they're doing. But they go into a heavy burn so that they are now moving at speed five they are two bands of altitude above the uhuru which is still not ideal for them they still need to do some more maneuvering before they're likely to hit but there's also going to be some strain that is dealt to their engines now
0: ooh okay i think i mm-hmm.
1: all right so i've marked that off we now turn to an npc slot uh, or, or no a pc if, slot
2: if i if i may so, there is a small narrative thing that I'd like to happen, but otherwise, I'd like to give my turn to do a, an additional crew action. Once Travis manages to retrieve the gun, Oromar gestures to outside, like, into the main of the ship and tries to yell something the thing is over the, over the he's been so twisted up by kind of like tension and paranoia and then the worst fears have come true this is a mutiny and they're trying to actually kind of like change him so he's been acting kind of on Impulse and instinct rather than thinking through his movements. And thinking through his movements is how he actually manages to operate his body correctly. So not thinking of that, he tries to say to uh, Travis, go help whoever you can. But instead, the drawer opens and just a uh, comes out instead. Uh,
1: I like the idea that one of the reasons that talking is so difficult is... You need to lubricate those vocal cords. Mm-hmm. And that is either by like drinking some sort of medicalized tea or by Oromar painstakingly going through the biological process of producing saliva and using them to lubricate those cords. So it's just like dry mess in mm. there, resulting into that horrifying hiss. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh while that happens i would like to give my kind of like narrative turn to uh, pliff outside pliff venture hmm.
1: yeah oh the <laughs> pliff venture um what are you going to have pliff do
2: hmm i think i i mean you know i want pliff to be a big damn hero and succeed so i think this is the process of managing to get up to the bird release area i like the idea that there is maybe one of the rowdy r's who's kind of at that kind of exit point and then pliff can like grab an ankle (laughs) Ooh, this is perfect okay okay so
1: this check is absolutely going to be hard but we're going to have pliff roll here oh good god that's another perfect (laughs) watch so once again it comes down to luminaries the river. Um, oh.
0: That's where the
1: hoops. The river for hoops. Well, the river is—you know what the river is. It's ultimately an expression of challenge, mm. destruction, challenge, and separation. One of the things that we talk about as we go into the divination and description of the river is that heroes are baptized in the river, ultimately. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is a moment where Cliff is pulling on the rope that is currently hooking him in to the Uhuru so he doesn't just spin off into the water and get torn apart by seals. Um, And I think he is pulling as fast as he can because these seals, they're gaining on him. Um, (laughs) They are nipping at his heels, so he's got the motivation to pull on it. But Liz, I would like a flashback. Yes. I would like a flashback to this bachelor party weekend. Where Gable is teaching Plith something about like hauling rope or whatnot. I want to know what lesson he learned on this bachelor party weekend that turned him into the hero that we need him to be.
3: <laughs> uh, okay. So we're showing him how to just kind of wrap rope around your arm like it's wire. Mm-hmm. So you see, the rope has memory. It's been curled in such a way that if you would just allow it to, the rope will curl around your arm in a very smooth motion. But if you fight against it, it will just ruin the entire coil. So if you find that that bend and move with the bend and be a little bit less anal and hard to be around and at your job. Hey,
1: and Gable, Gable, I think, I think some personal things are <laughs> leaking into Gable. We're going to, we're going to pull a half step
3: back this there. This is a lesson <laughs> that I'm teaching without any sort of agenda. So Gable
1: is drunk right now. I uh, <laughs> I do think like this is kind of happening where you are getting very in pliff's face for like this portion it started at a reasonable social talking distance and slowly gravitated with you being extremely close to pliff look
3: at the rope Um, look at it it's curling right and so you don't need to do anything but when you do things you make them worse so when you do (laughs) things you make them worse you're you're Um, worse you're worse (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: so we cut back to the present where pliff is pulling on this rope and we can see coiling it around his arm as he goes and i think that gets him up to the side of the ship where he is now like crawling along the side of the ship getting to the bird launch port he comes up to the bird launch port and this is fleas port However, there is someone like Flea is currently being restrained and pulled back by some rowdy R's because they are trying to pull the birds away from launching or doing things. We can see that Flea currently has a muzzle on and like we can see Pliff's hands like pull himself into this bird launch port and we can see him. Immediately come face to face with a mean-looking. With, uh, let's see, who are our rowdy R's that we have? We had so many R names. Uh, Ruth. Oh, Ruth yes. is there. Ruth's name is not naturally Ruth. It is a nickname upon a nickname because this person is called Ruthless, mm-hmm. and they just sort of short- shorten it to Ruth. It's pronounced Ruth. Um, Chris. Ch- <laughs> <laughs> So she's there and Pliff uh, like pulls himself up into the bird launch immediately sees Ruth goes ah! and almost falls back out the bird launch and then we can see the jumping forms of these massive seals which are like trying to lunge at Pliff from the other side and he looks back at them goes ah! and pulls himself inside and in doing so grabs Ruth Pulls Ruth out of the boat and into the waiting mouths of these horrible seals. Yeah. Uh, so now Plith is in the bird launch with the ship Sly. is now definitely oh.
0: ruthless. Oh. Yes. Yeah. One less Ruth. Well, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hey, heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, I want to start things off with a shout-out. Allie Barthwell, who you might know as Traveler Quan from Arbuja Neath Arc, is a talented comedian and writer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And this week, along with the rest of the Last Week Tonight team, she won an Emmy. As someone who has worked with Allie for years and always been amazed by her talent, I am so excited for her. I hope all Campaign Skyjacks listeners who enjoyed her performance as Traveler Quan or who may have enjoyed her performance on the many episodes of One Shot that she did go out and congratulate her on Twitter. You can find her at WTFlanksteak and just let her know that she rules. Huge congratulations, Allie. You always deserved it, but now you have it. Heroes the One-Shot Network is currently matching donations to the 2021 IGDN Diversity Sponsorship. This is a charitable program that helps designers who otherwise might not be able to attend Metatopia, the game design festival that is very near and dear to my heart. The point of the sponsorship is to connect game designers to resources they need to make their games happen. The IGDN Sponsorship is an amazing program and has helped some really talented designers along their way. That's why the one-shot Network is matching up to $1,000 of donations. And heroes, I'm going to be honest, I want to see you max out our donation. If you'd like to help this program along, head over to fundly.com slash 2021 dash IGDN dash diversity dash sponsorship or follow the link in our show notes. And remember, if you donate now, your donation gets doubled because I'm matching you. Before we get back to the show, I want to take a quick moment and thank some of our backers on Patreon. Charlotte Hassel, thank you. Lou Hogan, thank you so much. Afterack, thank you. Dan McKinley, thank you so much. Tito, thank you. Will Roper, thank you so much. Astrid Grensdorfer, thank you so much. Axel, thank you very much, and a toast to you. Connell Bjorkstrand, thank you so much. Joseph Soloway, thank you. Joshua Dunkley, thank you so much. Jonah Oxenhandler, thank you very much. Evan Wright, thank you. Matt Calicote, thank you so much. Ben Bizzogno, thank you. Hannah Maurer, thank you so much. Justina Kolonak, thank you. Maya Goldman, thank you so much. Tony, thank you. And Tim Davis, thank you. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Without you, we wouldn't be able to do this show. And we certainly wouldn't be able to do it weekly, but thanks to everyone who hopped aboard the Patreon recently... Campaign Skyjacks is here to stay on a weekly schedule. And you're just in time, as I have nearly finished my edit of the new bonus series that will be going up soon. Uh, Before it goes up, I need to pass it off to Allie Grower for a music edit, but it's going to be an amazing series, and I know everyone's going to love it, so you're going to want to make sure you're signed up for the $5 level or more on Patreon so that you can hear it as soon as it comes out. Thanks to everyone who supports us already, and everyone who's going to support us in the future. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. And we come to an NPC slot here I have to let we we've got to check in with our good and terrible friend mm. Rocco. Rocco not having the best day. Rocco already a bit roughed up. Rocco Had an encounter with the captain and like saw in very quick succession after he was hit pretty hard, the captain like murder three people very very quickly. You know, if we are treating rounds and skyjacks, which I I don't think we're treating them quite the same way, the same way that you would treat a round in D and D, in six seconds seconds. the captain killed like (laughs) three people. So. Rocco, his nose is bloody. He's got this blood running down his frilly shirt that is blue with the white cuffs. He turns around and goes, I... I I gotta, I gotta get to the cargo. I gotta get to the cargo. And he pulls himself to his feet. There is another jerk in the the boat's movements as speed is starting to pick up. And he is trying to make his way down the stairs. As he does, I, I think he's going to turn over his shoulder and fire behind him. Really more to create cover for his escape than actually to hit anything. I am going to make him roll against hard here, but I do want to see if there's a chance that he might hit Travis or the captain. And indeed there is Mm. not. There is a threat though so I am going to have the ship jerk again and Rocco falls down the stairs not causing heavy damage, but definitely costing him one strain mm. as he makes it to the the lower level where the aviary uh, on the Uhuru is. We're going to turn to a PC slot. I'm going to cut up really quick and get myself uh, something uh, to drink. But decide amongst yourselves who wants that PC slot.
3: Uh, pass I got to do boat stuff.
4: boat stuff.
3: James always makes me do boat, boat stuff. stuff. We don't want
4: to do boats.
3: <laughs> I want to play swords with my friends. Mm-hmm. But it's oh, please boat, boat, boat stuff. I will take it, James. Can you yeah, describe to it. me so what what our whole terrain situation is, or like where the birds are, what where the who is, just a uh, lay of the land.
1: Okay, so right now there are three birds that are fanned out kind of surrounding the Uhuru itself. They, they just threw some smoke bombs on the deck. So you probably don't know where they specifically are right now because you can't see a damn thing because the deck is covered in smoke. There are also three birds that landed on top of the Uhuru. Unbeknownst to you, a range band behind you, the silver bullet, is looming two range bands above you right now. So that's what's going on.
3: Okay. So there's birds on the boat.
1: Yeah, there are birds there on top of the balloon canopy right now. They have lit. All right. And you you would know that if there was a lookout there, but there is not a lookout there. Um, Travis... Well, yeah, it was a Rowdy R assigned to it. Travis did find out that there was no Crow's Nest lookout from Bathroom Barry, but did not tell anyone yes. that information.
3: Uh, and as far as like the trainee said, we're on a delta. Does that mean it's mostly like wetland, swampland, or are there mountains or is it flat?
1: So it's it's going to be flat kind of wetlands immediately beneath you. You are at low altitude, but not extreme altitude. Right now, the Uhuru is, you know, an appreciable distance from the ground beneath you. If the Uhuru were to go lower, you would be even closer to that to where basically the ship would be having a wake beneath it from the air that it's displacing. Mm -hmm. It's hard to assess what tactically would be the better thing. Generally, in a ship-to-ship combat, you want to be above or at level with your enemy mm-hmm. so that you can board their ship or attack them with weapons. But it's
3: kind of up to you. All right. I have a plan, and it's going to take a few rounds to do. But for the moment, I want to see Well, you stick- can do a
1: bunch of ship actions because you can also do ship actions on the on uh, crew turn.
3: turn. Okay. We <laughs> Here's what we're going to try and do. We are going to try to speed up at extreme low altitude, heading towards a bank of trees. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the next turn, we'll see what happens after that. (laughs) All right. So you are aware,
1: Liz, you you have a choice in front of you. You can speed up as Mm -hmm. the Uhuru. However, that will have you be going at above top speed. Yeah. You could initiate a heavy burn, which will allow you to increase your top speed by one heavy burns for a full turn. Basically on the next slot like this will allow you to do expanded ship stuff without too much of a problem. However, after that, it will start putting strain on your furnaces. Uh-huh. Uh huh.
3: How does speed affect climbs and dives?
1: So, speed is going to make your climbs and dives easier as you will be able to sacrifice speed in order to achieve those things. Okay. But moving at above your top speed is going to put strain on your steering mechanics.
3: Okay, above top speed. If I top went above right top speed and then did a climb, could I do something ridiculous like th- three or four levels?
1: Oh, okay. Okay. So you want to do uh, a heavy climb. Let me Everybody look at climb. the other
2: way deep as deep. the ship goes mid-diving. Yeah. Into a climb. <laughs> That's great.
1: So Liz, you can put strain on your furnaces in order to climb two bands. Okay. Um, which would put you, if you were to climb two bands, that would put you at even level with the silver bullet.
3: Okay. I'm not going to do that now. My goal is try and bring them down so far that they are level with us. And I know that they don't necessarily want to do that, but they.
1: Oh, so you you want to bash. Like you were talking earlier about like whipping them or bashing them into the water or mm-hmm. ground yeah. beneath you. Right. This is what. Uh, so to uh, to bait them into that, what you might want to do is just drop to extreme low altitude, which will
3: cause. And I, and I don't need that.
1: Problems. Speed. Okay. Make sure that when you roll things you are rolling with one blue die on this because your your maneuverability your your handling on the Uhuru is plus 1 so that will always add a blue die to what you're doing.
3: Oh jeez. The Uhuru. So yeah,
1: we're th- just going to th- go That's good for you though. That's good for you. And were you trying to go above a top uh, above top speed? No, I think we'll keep the speed where it is. All right. So then that's just one maneuver of dive which that gets you exactly where you need to be. You are now at extreme low altitude, skimming really just above the ground. You did ask that there be a bank of trees in front of you. If you would like that still to be the case, you can absolutely create that with some of the advantages that were initially rolled in combat. So we'll use one of those advantages on that. Then... What would you like to do as your action? That was just my maneuver.
3: Oh, I can do magic.
1: (laughs) You can do
4: magic. I
3: can do magic. Shit. Okay, I'm going to do magic. Um, Put
4: a cigarette through a quarter. Yeah. Oh, that's so good.
3: I have two rings and now they're connected. I'm going to... Cast a spell on the three birds that are on my balloon. Well, I don't know they're on the balloon, do I?
1: No, you are right now like in, there's very colorful smoke all around you. It's really, really hard to see. That's fun.
3: (laughs) I'm going to generate, if I can, a basically just a shield for any dropped. uh, What is it? Things that are dropped items that are dropped bombs no but in general the the general ballast projectiles Hmm. things that are Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) how big would you like this to be
3: well let's see how good i roll james
1: roll for Uh, bigness that's
3: roll for bigness liz
1: i need to decide what the challenge of the roll is going to be
3: i would love to just cover up as much as we can the the entire deck.
1: Okay, the full deck of the ship. The full deck. Um, and
3: if, like, the level of vertical is, I, I think let's determine how. I, th-
1: I think covering the full deck is going to be daunting.
3: Daunting? What?
1: The Uhuru is over 120 feet long. That is so much space that you're looking to cover. Now, if you want to cover, like, the helm like that top deck where the helm is i could probably rule that down to be a hard
3: okay i i'll i'll do the daunting if you can also guarantee me that people are included in projectiles so people yes can. yes okay. absolutely that that's what i was picking okay then that i think that's fair so what is daunting cool. Daunting is for purple.
1: Now I will remind you that there are always ways to enhance your spells. Oh, you yeah, can entreat it. a luminary. You can make a sacrifice. You can um, do
4: a butterfly knife trick.
3: My magic is very good. Cool butterfly knife magic. My magic is very good. And then I think, do I have blood? Do I have blood? You
2: don't. I think you've said before.
3: I don't have blood. No, I don't have blood. Yeah. Oh,
2: well, you so didn't give yourself it. blood.
1: I mean, pain is a sacrifice in itself, or you can figure out another abstract sacrifice. Mm.
3: Can I talk to a luminary? Yeah.
0: Can I can treat a luminary? Can I hit a luminary up? <laughs> yeah. We to see it? who's
1: <laughs> answering the the phone right now.
2: And is just like, hey, bang my line whenever you want. <laughs> <laughs> The children.
3: All of them? They're all here?
2: The gang is yes. all here.
1: Let's see here. Consequence, inevitability, and eternity. Nothing was unobserved and a reckoning is coming. This feels extremely aligned with Gable's whole shit being an angel of judgment and justice. So, yeah. The children are answering this, which means that I think... Justice needs to be served with your action. The, the children will want a prayer from you to, like, you can't be dishonorable while, while you're doing these things, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, creating a shield like that is fully within the, the children's purview. But when justice is meted out, you will have to be acting in that role and they might compel you to do something that is difficult or uncomfortable.
3: Okay, I love that. Also, does that sort of appear to me as like a million small voices, cherubic and terrifying?
1: There is a choir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: Children.
1: Um, so, yeah, that is going to upgrade your dice. So you'll turn it green into a yellow.
3: Thank you, little babies. All right, let's roll it. Let's see. It'll be fun. Let's see. I got two successes and two threats. James.
1: Yes. Yeah. Nice. Cut luck. Oh, give perfect. me my
3: shield. I have so a sword. I-
1: I need you to take two strain for casting the spell. Yeah, we'll see. First of all. Yeah, that's fine. And then there is going to be the additional two strain for the threats that popped up yeah, as the spell is an intensive drain on you. But the choir that was in your head becomes a choir that surrounds the ship. Ooh. It is not a visible thing but gable you can feel it you can feel it as it vibrates out in the energy of the fabric of the universe because you now have a few delicate strands a few feathers that have been restored to your being and you can feel the thrum of divine magic through them It's a bit painful, it's a bit itchy, but you know that you have set up this barrier that divides you and the harm of projectiles that would come after you. So basically enemies who are attacking your ship, especially the top deck of your ship, are going to have one failure to everything they do, even before they roll. Mm,
0: that's cool. Uh, until
1: the end of the combat, or you should decide to drop this spell. Ooh. I am going to say this is a pretty incredible spell. It will take one strain for you to maintain every round, and we will ask you that every turn that you have coming up. But I'm yeah.
3: fine. <laughs> I think I'm Okay. <laughs> I think you're
1: she, okay right she now. She says too.
0: in front of the game over <laughs>
3: background <laughs> I, think I'm fine. <laughs> I think I'm fine. Uh,
1: now we come to an NPC slot. Holy crap, I know what they're going to do. Gosh. Truly struck with inspiration. We move to the top of the Uhuru where these bird riders from the silver bullet have landed. They go to the packs on the back of their birds and they reach inside and we see them pull out these gas mask like helmets. They are service helmets for interior balloon work. Essentially, during a battle, or really during any sort of flying of a skyship, there is a chance that something will go wrong with the furnace stacks inside your balloon's envelope. And that you occasionally will have to go in there and service those stacks to restore them, to make sure that there are no blockages or anything to, you know, on calm days sometimes you have to shut down a furnace entirely and do a little bit of chimbley sweeping in order to get the coal dust out of there and whatnot. So what they are doing is pulling out these masks, putting them on and then going to a service flap in the Uhuru's envelope to enter inside the balloon canopy into this area that is full of thick and dark coal smoke to do something nefarious so they, they pull on these masks they head over to a service flap and they enter the balloon canopy itself it will be difficult once they are inside especially because this is an unfamiliar ship it's going to be difficult for them to navigate to one of the furnace stacks so i am going to have them roll for that oh but they roll really really mm. well
0: yeah, that's that's fun for
1: them <laughs> yeah that is two successes and two advantages oh. they go and they manage to together navigate to well yeah i'll spend their advantages on that two the main furnace on the uhuru and the main furnace stack particularly and they reach into the packs that they have at their pocket and they pull out again a small ceramic object and drop it into the hatch on the furnace stack There is a clinking and a clanking as this object rolls down and cracks on the grate above the main furnace. There is a hissing and an explosion. This is going to do five damage to the main furnace. What?
3: How much damage does the main furnace have? I'm like really
1: a, glad that you asked that mm, question. Like thousand, You're welcome. Right? <laughs> like a Couple like. Um, it
3: has oh. six.
4: Oh!
1: So you actually, this furnace needs to be serviced. You have passed uh, one of the areas where you are now on the Huru's main central furnace no longer getting burned. They have dropped a ceramic grenade of seawater Mm. into your furnace stack. That has rapidly cooled down the coal furnace that you have, and the furnace itself has now blown out Part of its stack, and that area is going to be uh, need to be replaced in order for you to restore burn. There's also the matter of getting the water out of the furnace itself without causing further explosion. So someone is going to need to tend to that. Mm. Dang. Uh, yeah, that you don't want people to land on your ship.
3: Sky Jazz. Just...
5: Nightly splendors, I once was told, of stars and moons and lights of gold, but never did I think it was mine to hold such celestial treasures in a box so cold. My mother told me that. She recited to me in her soft voice when I could not sleep. In truth, it's all I really remember of her, that poem passed away when I was very young, and the memory of her face, the smell, the shade of her hair, all that has faded, much like many of the things in my life. Oh, I do not mean to be on my friends. I was just thinking, when old men like myself begin to think, then uh, we undoubtedly think backward. For you, I imagine it is quite different, being so young. Your mind is full of tomorrow what adventures you are to have. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I apparently am full to brim of nostalgia tonight. Would you mind if we indulged in a tale that was told in my youth? One I was told by my father and his father and so on and so forth and so on. Really? Well, that's mighty kind of you. Now, how did it begin... Oh yes, once, in the days long ago, before feather weave and skyships, before red feathers, before even the mariner, the stars were numerous in our sky. There lived a royal family, a king and a queen, and lords and ladies in a castle, nestled on a smoky mountain. And this royal family ruled over a valley that ran from the mountains to the sea and they called their kingdom Anis. Now, the kingdom of Anis was a small place with quiet people, with quiet dreams. The people who lived there loved the woods and the fields, the rivers and the rocky coasts. They made small and quiet things. But the rulers of the land, the great house of Rhenean, looked askance at these quiet people they ruled. For while the people and the nation valued small and peaceful things, The royal family longed for something much grander. They wished for glory, for money, for conquest, to be like the nations that surrounded them with their armies and navies. But try as they might, none of their grand schemes came to any fruition. The valley remained as it was, peaceful, as a field of fireflies at twilight. Now, in the days of our story, the king of Anise was called Povero, he sat on the throne, much as his father did, and forefathers before him. He ruled the valley and longed for the riches and glory of his neighbors. And King Pivero tried everything. He declared war, but no one showed up. He tried courtly intrigue, but no one believed the tales he concocted. He tried to duel his long-hated rival, and somehow the two of them became the best of friends. Time after time, scheme after scheme, nothing ever changed, It vexed King Pavero, so much that one day he declared, I will go to the mountains and I will live there, I will leave my crown and robe and be as the quiet folk, and the queen and his advisors nodded and said, I'm sure that would be nice to get away, and so Pavero went to the mountains, and there he lived his quiet life of his quiet people. He hunted and he fished, he picked apples, he made a little house for himself, and even kept bees. And he hated it. Every bit of it. It was too quiet, and no one knew him when he passed by, and even his bees seemed to mock him with their lazy buzzin'. And as his life grew quieter and quieter, Pavero got angrier and angrier, until one day, out in his orchard, quietly picking apples, he reached his breaking point. Am I doomed to be forgotten, he cried to the heavens. Will no one know my name? So loud was his yelling that the very mountains around him echoed with his voice. And when the echo ended, something answered. And what is your name? Came a smooth and dangerous voice. Pavero turned, and there, sitting on that stump of one of his apple trees, was something. Not a person, or an animal, not a monster or spirit. It was something. Something wreathed in a shadowed light, with many eyes that stared at Pavero's very soul. And though fear crept into Pavero, he heard himself reply, I am me, and my name is Pivero, king of these lands. And, and what is a king? asked the something of smoke and gold with too many eyes. A king is me. A king is the most important person among all persons, Pivero replied. And the something laughed, a laugh of broken glass and shattered moons, all mirth and no merriment. "'The most important,' the something replied. "'How can you, a mere human, claim to be the most important anything?' And it laughed, and laughed, and laughed. And Pavero never forgot that laugh. Oh mighty King Pavero,' the something finally said, its laughter still ringing in the ears of the King. "'Son of Linus, father of Artamunt, who is to come, mortal man, and most important. This I promise you. I, who am endless, will remember you, and that which I remember shall endure. And what is more, I will give unto you other names that you shall give your children so that I might remember them as well. But only one will there ever be a generation. For I am busy and will not remember more. And you shall have much. You shall have gold. And you shall have plenty. But only for one. And the something reached out and touched the king. And the mind of Povero swam with names. The king eventually returned to his castle and picked back up his crown and returned to his quiet throne, and never more sought the great deeds of those nations that stood around him. And in the days that followed he had a son, that he named Artmund. And when Artmond was merely eight years old, the very stars fell from the sky. But Pavero and his son Armand were remembered, and while the kingdom of Venice burned, and the world around them crumbled, The two of them, and only the two of them, endured. And so the years marched on. Ottoman gave way to others, all named from names that Pavero carved into a tree, an apple tree, at that place where he and his son lived a quiet life after the end of the kingdom of Anise. And when the kingdom fell away, the crown lost, the kingdom and castles crumbled. The line of Pavero, however, shifted well, from monarchs to business moguls, from merchants to landed money, their castle became an estate, their subjects into servants and employees, and those that came after Pavero, Artomund, Pinella, Amarantia, Bergamon, Mace, all were remembered, all lived extraordinary lives full of glory and riches, but all tinged with darkness and a joyless mirth. For as their glory grew, so did their malice and greed. For it was never enough, and all the houses and fine clothes, the good food and the well-appointed stables could not hide the rot from within. And yet, with every generation, the next name of the tree was used. But one day, Five generations removed from King Pavero, a child was born to this dark and mirthless family whose name was not carved upon that old name and tree. The family lamented and begged the mother of the child to name him as the tree intended. "'He will ruin us all!' they shouted. "'You must name him Caspria as it is on the tree.' "'Don't you love him? "'Then give him the life he deserves and name him Caspria.' He will end his life, a pauper, unknown and unloved. So they said, so they begged. But the mother of the child held firm and whispered the child's own name in his ear and spoke of soft and quiet things, of kindness and hope, of righting wrongs and doing mercies, of the laughter of the wind and the trees and the joy of a good fire and good company. Of the freedom of being good. And the line of Pivera wilted, my friends. As suddenly as a blossom taken by the frost. Misfortune rained down upon that house. In a less ostentatious manner. For while there was always money, there was never peace. The mother died. The other relatives as well. The Lana Pivero shrank and shriveled until it was just the boy and his father, and there was no peace. The boy with the wrong name grew, and the father wilted, held together by spite and regret, until finally the young boy, his head full of hope and adventure, escaped the mirthless darkness of his father's house and went forth into the world. But one day, many years after he had fled, after many, many adventures, the boy, now a man, heard the news. His father had died, leaving everything to him. And what did this, this wrong-named son do? He did what his mother would have wanted. And what King Pavero had done so long ago in niece, he gave the fortune away go and live in the mountains and find that quiet life and they say that on a clear autumn night just like this one you'll find that wrong named son sitting by a fire just like this telling tales living his quiet life and that is as they say the end
1: Campaign Skyjacks is a One-Shot Network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing.
0: Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter.
3: And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles.
0: We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the One Shot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com.
1: You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Like all my fantasy children. All My Fantasy Children is a character creation, world building, and storytelling podcast powered by you. Each week, best friends Aaron Catano sayez and Jeff Stormer take a listener-submitted prompt and, using some of their favorite tabletop RPGs, create an original fantasy character. Along the way, they populate a shared universe one story at a time. They share laughs, stories, and verbal hugs along the way. Janet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at LizAnderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Madigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at PhantomArtsENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash TheNeonCaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG, or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A R N E. P-A-R-R-O-T-T You can find more of his work at atptunes.com This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast Neo Scum Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists, an Illimat produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight games.
4: Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we
2: can never deny the call of the sky.